Over the past several weeks, we've been moving through the book of Acts, and this morning we come to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, which is truly one of the more strange passages in the New Testament. We pray today that the Holy Spirit would add his blessing to the reading of his word. Acts 11, beginning in the first verse. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me, and when I fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, I thought, at that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Would you pray with me? Come please, Holy Spirit. We who are so small compared to you, call out to you today. We need you desperately. We desire for this time together to be meaningful. We desire to hear your voice, to feel your presence and your power. So we come humbly before the God of all creation and we confess that we have failed this week and this day We turn away from our failures, our sins, and ask for your forgiveness. Cleanse us once again, holy God, so that you might breathe through us, so that we might know your power and your will, so that we might be pleasing to you and a blessing to one another 
We pray these things humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. This truly is an interesting and a strange passage. When you think about it, trances and visions, a, a sheet from heaven falling full of wild beasts and crawling creatures and birds of the air, a command to get up and go and, and eat that which had been unclean for 1,400 years all the way back to the days of Moses. But what is subtly also very interesting and strange about this passage is that this passage, almost word for word, if you flip back just one chapter, would be repeated almost word for word. The exact same story told word for word, and it kind of draws us to ask the question, why? Why repeat it? And I think the answer must be because this is something that was so important to the first century church. It is also something that is so very important to us today that the Holy Spirit would put it in his word twice so that we would hear it. I think it also means that this is something that may be difficult for us to understand, difficult for us to absorb, to live by. And so the Holy Spirit has put it so that we might respond as they did. So we might include the outsider and make them insiders. And so that we might follow this good example. Now for us to understand this passage, we kind of need to slip off our 21st century shoes and put on our first century sandals. Because although this, this passage is strange, visions and sheets and strange animals... Certainly, there's nothing here that draws us kind of on the surface. All we see in the surface is that Peter has gone down from Jerusalem. He's at Joppa. He is having a meal. He might say he's just having barbecue with a, a, a new group of friends. But walking in our first century sandals, we see that there must have been almost a physical, if not emotional and spiritual revulsion at what Peter was doing at this moment. It must have been very hard to the point of revulsion for the Jews that came down all the way from Jerusalem, tracked Peter down to see what in the world he was doing, and to see him eating with the Gentiles was absolutely revolting. Now three things are obvious in this passage, and the first is that Peter is asking the Jews to have what was called table fellowship, in other words, to eat and drink and to worship with the Gentiles. Well, we all know that they believed that, it, that if you weren't a Jew, if you were a Gentile, you were not chosen by God, you were a, a terminal outsider, there was nothing that you could do to come inside, you were basically a little more uh, than dogs, you were just simply an animal if you were a Gentile. And Peter, from his prophetic word from the Holy Spirit, is saying, now we must include them in our fellowship. Secondly, all of the eating customs, in other words, what you can eat and what you couldn't eat, the things that went all the way back to the days of Moses, 1,400 years of teaching, Peter is now saying to them, it doesn't matter anymore what you eat. Third, we actually learned this a little bit later on, that circumcision will no longer be a requirement to become part of the family of faith. And the very thought of this must have been so revolting to those that came physically, 
emotionally, spiritually, that they could not contain themselves. How do we understand that? How do we understand that sense of revulsion? I was thinking back this week to when my boys were just little, and we lived in South Korea for a couple years, and they were just the best little boys, and we used to try to get off the post every once in a while, and we would travel around Korea. Well, that's not easy, because it seems like those folks have a different word for everything. And we were traveling around, and we would get lost every time that we would get off post. And uh, we were, you know, the boys, being boys, they got hungry one day. And we were driving up in the mountains, and we had no idea where we'd been. And the boys were starting to, you know, punch. And we're hungry, Dad. And Sandy was getting hangry. You know hangry, right? Cross with, yeah. And so I was panicking, you know, I got to feed my family, I got to provide for them. And so we stopped at a gas station there in Korea and uh, got out and I thought, at least I can get them a bag of chips and, a, you know, something like that. Well, sure enough, they had a hot dog stand there and I thought, oh, I'm home. We're good now, you know, a hot dog, breaded, deep fat fried, and that's food, you know, that's eating. Boys love them. And so uh, we ordered up a couple of those hot dogs and, and, uh, and gave them to the boys and and they bit into that good breading on the outside, you know, and come to find out there was no hot dog inside. In, instead, in Korea, you know, it's kind of a fish culture, you know, and, and so a bunch of um, uh, octopus and minced up uh, fish inside that thing. In other words, it was seafood. And we know it was seafood because we could see the food going down and then we could see the food coming up. And you might ask, why in the world would he tell such a story? Because that's the image of what the Jews saw when they came in and saw Peter eating with Gentiles. It was absolutely revolting. And we need to understand that this was going to be terribly hard. The Jews had come all the way down from Jerusalem just to track him down, just to say, what are you doing? And there's Peter 1,400 years of tradition, gone. What are you doing, Peter? This is absolutely revolting. And so Peter responds in a wonderful way. In verse 4, it says, Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in an orderly sequence. He wasn't shaken. This wasn't his idea. He was simply being faithful to God. There was nothing to be fearful about. Peter explains in a calm and orderly way his encounter with the risen Lord and how he had been changed by the experience. And it was quite an experience because Peter comes to this conclusion, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Now Sunday after Sunday we come into this sanctuary to worship at the foot of the cross. Amen. It is my heart's desire to come in contact with the risen Lord, to worship at the cross. And we commemorate the time that Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, he cleansed both Jews and Gentiles. And at the cross, he allowed outsiders to become insiders. And I praise God for that because I know, I know deep down within me that I was an outsider without hope. I was one of those Gentiles. I was lost on the cross that we come to worship at week after week. In Matthew 27, it says this. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top down. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. And we come to worship at the cross today because it is finished. No longer is the temple the only place in the entire world where we can bow down and worship our God. Anywhere we go, anytime during the week, we can still our hearts because it is finished. And we don't need a high priest anymore. We don't need an intercessor between us because we have the Holy Spirit. It is finished. It's no longer necessary. The sacrificial system, no longer needed. Because your sins and my sins, past, present, and future, are cleansed, are paid for. It is finished. The division between God and man is torn. It is the work of God. From the top down, the veil was torn. And listen, the barriers, the boundaries between men have been torn. It is finished. We worship at the cross because at the cross, his blood trickled down, covering the entire world and cleansing us. And so the Lord says to Peter, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And that includes me and it includes you. And don't we praise God for that today? Because we remember deep down in our bones, that we were once outsiders as well. Ephesians 2.12 says it this way, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Please hear these words deep into your heart, deep into your bones. You and I were separate. We were excluded. We were strangers. We were enemies of God. We had no hope and we were without him. And that describes you and me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This isn't by our own doing. This is nothing that we could ever earn or deserve. But by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we who became outside, were outsiders have become insiders. And it seems to me, beloved, that because we have experienced that great truth that we have known deep in our bones that we were lost, that we were outsiders, that we were without hope, but now in Christ, the most powerful words, but now in Christ. And it seems to me that the only right, reasonable, responsible, biblical response, knowing how we felt, is to make sure that no one else ever has to feel that way. That we go to all people because 
We celebrate, don't we, that the barriers have fallen and that we wouldn't want anyone ever to feel like we felt. That we would have a desire to invite everyone in. But the strange thing is that sometimes in the church, the longer that we have been insiders, the more likely we are to forget that we were once outsiders. And the longer that we have been insiders, the more likely it is that we'll actually begin to put up walls to exclude others. The church might say all are welcome, but sometimes there's an unspoken asterisk, an expectation, all are welcome as long as you look kind of like us, that you act kind of like us, as long as you're cleaned up before you come. But I remember I wasn't cleaned up. And men and women accepted me. We love to sing just as I am, just as I am, Lord Jesus. You accepted me. You were continuing to work within me. And now do we pass that same just as I am on to everyone else? We forget we weren't cleaned up when we came. If we could clean ourselves up, we wouldn't need a Savior, would we? By our actions, we judge some to be clean and some to be unclean. But the Spirit spoke to Peter, and I believe speaks to us what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. It wasn't easy for Peter. It wasn't easy for him. It may not be easy for us to let go of the divisions that seem to divide us. I think that's why the story is told a second time, because it's going to be hard. And the logical question seems to be, who are those around us today that might cause such revulsion to the point that we would desire either passively or aggressively to exclude them from the family of faith? I, I was at a restaurant a while back and eating lunch, and I was just sitting by myself, and, and a, a, a little family came in, a husband and a wife and a little boy, and they sat at the table next, down, next to me, and uh, I kind of looked up from you know, my meal, and, and, and uh, I was just, I know this is going to sound strange, I was just drawn to the guy's ears, it's just like ears, and because in each one of his ears, he had, he had a, a disc in there that was about the size of somewhere between a quarter and a half dollar. And I just thought, what in the world is wrong with that fella? That was my first response. I just admitted, what in the world is wrong with that fella? I came to find out later on, I had to look it up on the, on the, on the, on the internet, you know, on the Google. I had to look it up because I am not cool and I did not know what was going on, but those are called gauges. And the idea is they just continue to put these bigger discs in and, and, and it just keeps making the earlobe bigger and, and bigger and bigger. And, uh, I, you know, I kind of lost interest in my, eat my meal and I just started thinking about that. And I just, I kind of worked myself up. I was just sitting there by myself and I just, I just thought to myself, what is, what is wrong with that man? And, you know, we are God's creation. What in the, why would you deform that? And, and geez. And I think the Holy Spirit spoke to me at that moment and said, look again. 
Because what I hadn't seen was a doting father who loved his child very much. A family that was very close. And what I hadn't asked myself was really the important question. I wonder if he knows Jesus Christ or if he needs to. And I certainly hadn't heard the words of Jesus, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Because the veil is torn and the blood of Jesus has been sacrificed and who am I to hinder the work of the Lord? Who are those around us that cause that kind of sense of revulsion to the point that we wouldn't desire them to be part of the family of faith or we might ignore them or we might pretend not to see them or we might not eagerly go to them you know if they're pierced tattooed I remember when I was a little boy my dad threatened me with physical violence if I ever get got a tattoo it was a little hypocritical because he had one of his own but he told me don't you ever get one and I never did is that the thing It separates us. Drug user, could they not need to hear the good news? Homosexuals, do they not need Jesus Christ? Or is it as simple as skin color that may be different than yours? Because we say, for God so loved the world, then do we act like it? Are we concerned that if they came, whoever they are, that they might change things so much, then we don't really like change? Or, or we'd like them to come if they just clean up a little bit, and if they just act a little bit more like us? It must have been hard for the first century Jews, and it will probably be hard for us. And that's why the Spirit, I think, put it in the scriptures twice. From the Amplified Bible, it says this, then God gave it to them the gift equally as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus. And who was I and what power or authority had I to interfere or to hinder, forbid, or withstand God? And the point seems to be that through our actions, we can either hinder the work of God or we can hasten the work of God. And when we go to those that may not be exactly like us, and no one really is, if we would go to those people, then we hasten the work and we hinder the work of God when we emphasize the differences and we put up artificial barriers between each of us. Now, I believe that every longtime member of this church, this church that has stood proudly for almost 150 years, has been a beacon of light for, for Jonesboro and for Sanford for, for all of these decades, for over a century. I believe that every one of us here desires for this church to thrive and to grow for his glory. Someone say amen. amen. But we also know that most churches in America, 85% of them, are either plateaued or declined. And we ask ourselves, why is that? I mean, that seems to be a pretty essential question. 
In Tom Rainer's book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, he says this. He says, one of the reasons a church dies is that because it refused to look like the community around it. It refused to reach out to those around us. It made it difficult for outsiders to become insiders. It refused, says Rainer, to look like their community. Do you know what our community looks like? Our community is incredibly diverse. Did you know within a five-mile radius of this church that the demographics are one-third white, one-third black, and one-third Hispanic? That's us. That's our community. And so when we look at ministries, are we looking at ministries that are the hands of Christ for those people? This is our community. This is the fifth grade graduation. Incredibly diverse. Jay Glenn Edwards, fifth grade graduation just a couple of months ago. I wish, by the way, that the church was this packed every Sunday. I would die a happy man if this church was thriving like that every Sunday. But this is our community, so, so take a good look. Look at the diversity. This is who we are. Rainer says that if we are to be a thriving church, that we need to begin to look more like our community does, to welcome them as insiders. This is our mission field. These are those that we must invite to be full partners. Did you know that over half of all the parents within a five-mile radius of Jonesboro Heights Families, more than half within a five-mile radius. And so as we select ministries, as we look to reach out, as we look to be the hands of Christ, look to be inviting those to become insiders, are we meeting their needs? In some ways, we are. This is what we experienced in Vacation Bible School just a couple weeks ago. And it was wonderful. It was incredible. And the diversity was tremendous. VBS was exceptionally good this year. But I'll tell you all, it was also exceptionally hard. Amen? Because you know what? Their kids didn't act like our kids. It was hard and it was messy and it was frustrating, and it's just like Jesus said it was going to be when we went into the world. Hard and messy and frustrating. And it was so good that at the end of it, hard, messy, frustrating, and good, that eight young people's name were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They came forward to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because that's what we expect when we open the door to the community, when we open the door and say, all are welcome, all are welcome to become insiders. Because I was lost, but through Jesus Christ I was found. I was an outsider, lonely, empty. I did not care if I lived or died, but then there was Jesus. And that ache that I felt makes it impossible for me to be silent. How about you? And at the end of VBS, those eight kids that used to be their kids 
They became our kids. Here's what I hope and believe. Listen to me, would you? I believe this church is on the precipice of a revival. It may not be explosive, but I believe there's going to be steady growth in the future, although I am not opposed to explosive growth either. I believe this church is on the precipice of a revival that we are positioned, that we have the right tools in place, that the heart of the people is right. But the one thing I think that it's going to decide whether we're going to be part, if we're going to move forward, is if we insiders, by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, if we will fully welcome the outsider and help them to know Jesus. It wasn't easy for Peter. It wasn't easy for the Jews that came on the warpath to find out, Peter, what in the world are you doing? Hang out with them. It may not be easy for us either. But here's what I believe. That if we're faithful and we open the doors in our hearts to everyone in our community, if we reach out to them, if we design ministries knowing what our community looks like, if we welcome the outsider and make them insiders, that we're going to bless the heart of Jesus Christ himself and that he's going to bless us in ways that we cannot imagine right now. And it hinges upon this. Will we go together and make outsiders insiders? In the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we need you so. We have expressed our love and it's true. You have blessed us and you have brought us to this place. But I believe, Father, that you're not through with us yet. That you're still working within us. So we pray, Father, I pray for myself, I pray for every member of this family, that you would put a burning desire in our hearts to see not the little things that divide us, but the greatest need of all that reconciles us. Give us a hunger. We were lost. We confess it. We celebrate what you have done at the cross. Now, Help us to go and to welcome all. In Jesus' name, amen.